Welcome to the Small Business Leadership Podcast. I'm Jason Johnson. And I'm Tom Patton. There are more than 30 million small businesses in the United States alone, which accounts for nearly all U.S. businesses. But what does it take to be successful in a small business? On this podcast, we talk with small business owners and others about leadership and what it takes to be successful as an entrepreneur. My guest today is Grant Blaisdell, co-founder of the blockchain analytics and AML company CoinFirm, as well as Copernic Space, a marketplace for digital space assets. He's also a lifelong musician and hip-hop artist known as GB Savant, and he applies his technological work to his music with upcoming projects such as Mr. Crypto. And Grant, welcome to the Small Business Leadership Podcast. Thanks for having me, Tom. Talk about your two businesses, both CoinFirm and Copernic Space. What what led you into those businesses? Uh, yeah, especially for people who've known me for a long time, the the CoinFirm one, since it, since it specialized around specifically regulatory, you know, financial regulatory aspects and anti-money laundering, most specifically, uh, a lot of people who've known me for a long time are kind of surprised by that. Um, the story behind that one initially is I got into, let's say, blockchain technology, roughly speaking, in, I don't know, 2012-ish or so. Mm -hmm. um, originally, due to my kind of digital media and music background, where I was focused on uh, distribution and monetization models um, for digital media and music. Um, as a part of that was this constant a uh, battle around trusted and centralized major third parties who lacked transparency and trust kind of in the back end engine, right? Right. Um, so that led me um, to do a few things. It led me to do a project out here in, in Europe where I am now in Warsaw, Poland. And, uh, and eventually I was speaking at some conference and uh, I was introduced to what would become one of my other co-founders in CoinFirm and him and another co-founder uh, kind of relayed their general vision. And although I didn't have a, a financial background or regulatory background in that sense, uh, I think one of my kind of strengths is quickly tying dots together in, in kind of a, a macro way while looking at the future and I saw, well, listen, if I believe in this crypto thing, you know, it's, it's, it's got its obvious growth pains that it's going to have to have, but the biggest roadblock and among them is going to be regulatory. And if we can not only solve that, but we can, um, what's important to me, which is totally change the dynamic of anti-money laundering. I mean, a lot of people don't understand this, but like those in the traditional financial space, it's, at about under, it's around 2% effectiveness on a good day. And mm -hmm. it's loads of overhead labor, uh, just mass inefficiencies. And, you know, it's one of these things where the argument against a lot of regulations is that it's anti-competitive, it blocks small startups, competitors from truly entering the space because it just puts a massive, uh, you know, roadblock like that, that, that only well-funded companies can handle. Right? right. So not only can we build that bridge and break that roadblock for, for mass adoption of crypto by providing a solution around that. But if you know how to do it properly, you can totally revolutionize how AML is 
and turn it from that, you know, inefficient, ineffective, high cost thing to like a near automated utility that allows anyone from, you know, a startup to the largest financial institutional world to run their AML for blockchain assets uh, within that. So um, in about formally, we're founded early 2016, kind of we were the first ones who came out focused around using big data analytics specifically for AML mm-hmm. and compliance solutions uh, around crypto. And, you know, we've approached it from a blockchain agnostic perspective, which to us means, you know, this technical capability to integrate any type of blockchain or protocol within our platform and its analytics and framework, which has given us, you know, a competitive advantage over our really two, maybe three other global competitors which are mainly U.S. based and and much more well funded, but you know we battle it out pretty much on on each contract with them, and we have multiple right. uh, competitive advantages um, over them. So in the past, you know, really quickly we became a global leader in that space, and and we've continued to to lead in that space uh, up until today. And our long term vision is still being you know, validated uh, by the market and its growth. Because when we came out, you know, a lot of people were like, well, it's, why are you trying to do AML for crypto? Crypto is not supposed to have AML, right? And and just to um, be clear, just to be clear, when you say, when you say AML, you mean anti-money laundering. Yeah, I'm sorry if I didn't uh, specify that. Yeah, so most definitely anti-money laundering. So uh, it's, KYC is a little bit, which means know your customers a little bit more on the surface <laughs> right. when it comes to regulatory stuff. So that's like when you're onboarding onto something, even at your bank, they ask you for your ID, right? Right. You're not going to start a bank account without being validated in some sort of, uh, you know, sense like that. So there's a big focus on KYC, but really the big thing that's happening in the background there is the AML aspects. Um, so that's something that, that, you know, we focused on and excelled on uh, really well. So then what about Copernic space? And I bring this up because I got to know Grant. I interviewed him for a podcast that I do for Xterra, the Journal of Space Commerce. And we talked about Copernic space. And this is uh, basically a marketplace for uh, for trading in space. So, so give us a background on Copernic space a little bit. Uh, yeah, long, long kind of history around that one, because it technically starts with my grandfather, okay. who was a, a professor around aerospace for the military academy here in Warsaw, Poland. And he was stuck behind, you know, the Iron Curtain and communism. And he was a guy who, you know, capitalist minded guy, very open. And he kind of planted the seed for this whole democratization of space. And just like with CoinFirm, uh, you know, the thing that really got my soul into that was this whole democratization element, you know, letting a small startup or a small guy do the same thing that the big financial institutions can and access the same things. So that, 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 that was birthed for comparing space by him who wanted his students and the amazing intellectual capital and property that existed there to be able to have exposure to the West and the West, the exposure to them. Right. Right. My mother kind of carried that torch and has been active in what we call the space economy. So you're going to hear me segregate space economy and industry a little bit with this um, for, for decades. um, And has really been a visionary in that place as well. And through that, and, and me being with her throughout all these years around it, um, 
got to a point around six years ago where because of my experience around blockchain already, and this is even before CoinFirm was technically founded. Okay. Um, because of my experience around blockchain already uh, and our understanding of and our vision of how the space industry uh, and the space economy overall were going to um, develop further, um, we realized there's a massive need and a massive opportunity for this next kind of era of the space economy. Because a lot of people even those within the industry kind of don't see it because they're within it, but those outside especially don't understand is that the space industry itself runs on very kind of segmented, archaic, old business processes. So something as, as in the digital sphere, what should be to a normal person seem quite quick, mm-hmm. right? You know, we're all e-commerce right now. We can get anything delivered or touched, whatever, in, in the digital space very quickly that you know, even for entities within the industry that know what they're doing, these processes can take months, right? right? And why is that? Is because it's, once again, it's extremely segmented. There's trust bases, different standards for different things. And at the end of the day, there's no easy marketplace to, you know, in natural kind of user-friendly way to discover and engage, acquire and access, you know, what we call digital space assets. So satellite data imagery, uh, earth observation, and this can extend into intellectual property and other sort of things. So a lot of people also don't understand that this sort of data and stuff are things that are really driving, you know, a lot of elements of our economy, its progress, technology, um, et cetera. So um, Copernic Space actually just had its uh, MVP mm-hmm. launched the other last week. Okay. where we're working now with, with partners on executing commercial use cases around it. Uh, but what we're bringing to a table is a global, open, secure marketplace for digital space assets and companies um, that allow them to you know, discover, acquire, and access uh, these things in a way that turns that thing from months to, you know, could be minutes in in. Um, some cases. So really opening up the space industry, turning it into the space economy, because there's also millions of companies and entities out there who could be uh, better using, let's say, these digital space assets. Uh, but they don't uh, they don't have that easy access and way to acquire them. Now, you're originally from California, as I understand. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. But and you said now you're in Poland. I think you're in Warsaw, correct? Correct. Okay. Um, so tell me, in your view, how is entrepreneurship different in those two cultures? Yeah, it's funny. I actually, uh, yesterday, I had a very long conversation with a guy who's doing some startup stuff in London, but he was originally from Poland. So mm-hmm. um, I'm actually kind of warmed up on this topic, but that's part of the life <laughs> mission of mine. And, and right? one of the reasons I came out here was, um, you know, my mom's originally from here and we always understood and knew that the amount of technical, intellectual and entrepreneurial capital that exists here is massive. It's just why do American startups in a lot of ways have the success on the level that they do? One element is cultural attitudes and approaches, which is massive. And that's both from the entrepreneur's end as well as from uh, as well as from the investor's end, mm-hmm. right, which is equally important uh, in that sort of dynamic. And just an overall access to to capital markets, know-how, 
um, et cetera. So when I came back out here about seven years ago or so, um, there's even articles around in kind of the business newspapers here. You know, one of my missions was, you know, gather together uh, good American capital to invest into highly ambitious global potential startups out here with great founders. And just like, you know, with the AML or the crypto stuff or whatever it is, you know, they kind of laugh at you and call you crazy at first. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, But now it's something that, you know, even big VCs in the U.S. are trying to do is kind of bridge that that thing because they understand that there's a there's a huge potential market out here for that. So originally I came out here with that and coin firm, to be honest, is the first real kind of successful use case for that that life mission you know we right it's london headquartered but all the founders including myself are, are polish citizens or, or were born here and uh you know we proved that out of here you know all the brains and bronze are pretty much here in warsaw the analytics team the tech team etc uh, that you can build a global startup out of here so I've been grinding my teeth on that for a long time and, and it's, it's nowhere near completion, but it it gets better and better each year. And, you know, the people in California, I think are starting to realize that they're, they're kind of monopoly and, and in some ways in Silicon Valley, this kind of pyramid they've built is also not, uh, is not excluded from being disrupted, which is what they've been doing at, you know, all over the world. So um, I got to a point where also for me in California, I, I, it's very close network based. It's very who you know, and uh, it's, it's saturated, right? Right. And I wanted to do something new where I felt that I could have an, a real effect and not just be, you know, another part of this cog, this cog in the system, right? So are you facing any particular challenges working internationally? Uh, because you, you do a lot of business still here in the United States, even though you're, you're in Warsaw. Are there particular challenges that come with that international, uh, w- with international trade? Uh, well, to be honest, you know, I still think that, you know, my startups or any startup I advise to or I'm trying to help somebody, I always try to push them to be American mm-hmm. anyways. You know, there's... I have a huge advantage in the United States. Like when I come back to the States or when I, when I choose to move back, I have a huge advantage because I innately understand how things work on this end. Right. Right. And it's the same thing here. Like, because I am American, I kind of get the bigger game, the bigger picture, just like that startup approach. You know, there's companies out here who are making much more revenue, have more clients than, than startups that are worth hundreds of millions of dollars and mm-hmm. they're not worth that much. Why is that? It's because they're playing a different game, a different system. Right. Um, and I've had these meetings multiple times with startup guys, entrepreneurs out here, and they're, you know, congratulating me on what I've done. I go, buddy, you actually have more revenue than we do. So <laughs> what, what are you doing? You know, how are you talking? How are you communicating the company? How are you structuring it? Uh, you know, what's your strategy around that? And I had meetings in the beginning where I'm like, well, why aren't you getting any VCs to help build your value? He goes, well, we're generating good revenue. We're profitable, et cetera. I go, well, okay. But you started off the meeting congratulating me on the valuation of my company. Right. Right? So, um, you know, these are these things that I was talking about, about bridging that gap between the U.S. and here also on those cultural attitudes and approaches, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, so there's, there's lots of struggles also, you know, Europe is, it's all very culturally different, you know, right. Polish people, I, they have something that a lot of them I call the Polish school of business. It's leftover kind of post-communistic mixed with early 2000s corporate culture. And it, it really sucks. And a lot of these people are, are running the corporates or the high up things in the economic system here in the government, which is even worse, obviously. So there's lots of challenges with it, you know, and then you go to a country over, it'd be like driving to another state in the US and, right. you know, you have to deal with another cultural settings, you know, dealing with Brits is totally different than dealing with Americans, right? Right. And for example, my approach doesn't work as well with Brits as it does with <laughs> Americans, for example. So yeah, there's, there's struggles, but really you got, it's, it's a double edged sword uh, to your advantage um, most of the time. So you know, to Americans listening, especially young entrepreneurs, you know, take that leap, take that risk. Um, you know, I have this kind of weird American exceptionalism, but a lot of things that we're doing is very passe in right. the sense of most American youth have nothing to gain to try something differently. Like you can, like I'm saying, you can play the American value game mm -hmm. while, you know, not being in the US all the time. And with COVID, especially, it is really kind of evened out that plane where like, I don't have to sit in New York City, I don't have to sit in San Francisco, right to push things forward anymore, like we used to. We're talking with Grant Blaisdell, co founder of coin firm and Copernic space on the small business leadership podcast. After the break, we'll discuss the burgeoning commercial space sector, and what it means for entrepreneurship. I'm Tom Patton. The Small Business Leadership Podcast is made possible by Broadreach Communications and Marlin Consulting Solutions. Marlin Consulting Solutions specializes in local SEO service packages to improve your page rankings and exposure on the search engines, leading to more leads, more customers, and business growth. Be the first business your customers see when they conduct local searches on search engines like Google, Bing, and Yahoo!, Find out how by visiting Marlin Consulting Solutions at marlincs.com. Broadreach Communications provides professional communication services for small businesses that need those services but do not need a full-time communications department. They provide website content ranging from news and blog posts to podcasts and company newsletters. Broadreach Communications can help you stay in touch with existing customers and reach new ones. Find them online at broadreach.biz. Welcome back to the Small Business Leadership Podcast. I'm Tom Patton, and we're talking with Grant Blaisdell, co-founder of CoinFirm and Copernic Space. Uh, Grant, I want to move into the commercial space sector just a little bit because this is something that really is, is for lack of a better term, taking off. <laughs> and I know that's very cliche, but how important is entrepreneurship to the commercial space industry? Uh, it's the new... It's the new era. I, in my personal opinion, it's just now really entered the space industry in, in any sort of sense. Um, so when I was talking about the value of Copernic space and stuff, mm -hmm. um, you know, that falls in line with it is all these startups, these young entrepreneurs who have a different approach towards and more open approach towards uh, commercialization, monetization, transfer of data, sharing of data, et cetera. And that's something that actually, you know, blockchain technology is very 
uh, revolutionary about, but from a straight entrepreneurial sense, I speak to probably about three startups a week. Right. Um, mostly young guys and they're the ones that are willing and open. You know, it's, it's the big guys that are very hard to move. But um, the cool thing is that was like, I presented to NASA and some of its commercial partners uh, last week or the mm -hmm. week before. And the response I got was great. You know, the thing is, is that there's great people who, who want to, who are entrepreneurially minded working within these, what somewhat used to be startups. Right. And, um, and some of these more bigger, even governmental organizations. But um, to me, space and the entrepreneurship opportunity provides is the largest opportunity of the next decade, at least. Yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, SpaceX was a startup at one point, but of course it had Elon Musk's money behind it. And that's not the case with everybody. Not everybody has a, a, an angel like Elon Musk to, to get their, their program going. But how then do small companies integrate with those big players like SpaceX or Boeing or Rocketdyne and others? What, how, do they, how do they get in? Uh, I think it's, well, you know, money talks. Right. Right. So it all depends on what the circumstance of the company is and what they're trying to do. So there's some companies that I deal with. So remember when I was telling you that uh, earlier that, you know, these processes to acquire stuff can take months. Right. Right. A lot of that is happening with these kind of these startups or these smaller kind of companies who are acquiring data from these bigger players, satellite companies, you know, these kind of more ingrained companies. And it's actually them they're having the biggest issue with. Right. Right. So their issue is that they have their processes and their attitude is a lot of the times is like, well, I only need this. Well, too bad. You get all, you have to get all of this. And it's, you know, $20,000 price tag. Mm -hmm. Right. But, you know, I come out of digital media originally and music and, you know, what, what those industries went through in the early 2000s due to digitization and the P2P revolution right. uh, that brought with it, that transferred into almost every industry across the world. And space is one of the few that where it really hasn't hit yet. So, you know, those entities are going to have to change, right? Just like the studios and all these other major incumbents had to change or else they faced, you know, a very... Um, risky future. It's very hard for entrepreneurs in my mind within the space industry. And this is the other element of comparing space. I didn't, I didn't touch on right away, which mm -hmm. is the smart fund, which is right. something we're going to be rolling out a little bit more carefully and, and slowly. Um, but because of my experience around crypto and what was the ICO boom, which for those listening means initial coin offering. Right. So this was uh, something that it's still happening technically, just not on the same scale, but was really scaled up in 2007 and 2018, where startups, highly ambitious projects, tech projects, and a lot of scams too uh, did this. They would release tokens globally on the mm -hmm. market, blockchain-based tokens uh, for sale, right? And right. they would raise, you know, in some cases, hundreds of millions of dollars to go about these projects. So on Copernic Space, not only is there a marketplace, there's gonna be something we call the smart fund where people can provide financing in three different ways. Uh, one is kudos, which is charitable kind mm -hmm. of idea. 
So NASA could get funding that way from the American public and they can give them, you know, these kind of symbolic kudos tokens that show that, hey, you gave this much and blah, blah, blah. Right. Uh, then is utility tokens, which these are tokens that you would purchase that then have some sort of function. So I purchased this token that then I can exchange for satellite data, for example. Mm -hmm. And then we have, you know, our more traditional kind of security based investment looking things. But, you know, we want very soon to be able to provide the capability for a satellite startup to say, hey, we need $30 million to build and launch this satellite. It is going to generate this data that we're going to monetize. And you tokenize that satellite itself, not the company. And you put that out for public financing. So, you know, you could have 1,000 owners of a satellite. You know, the company owns 40% of the tokens, let's say, but then right. you have 1,000 people owning the rest of the 60%. And they're earning a steady revenue uh, stream based off their token ownership, hmm. right? So there's a future that's coming that is going to tokenize and chop up ownership of things we thought were never um, possible. And in that way, that startup didn't give away equity. Right. Either. So what do you think is different about establishing a business in a highly technical field like, uh, like commercial space, as opposed to opening up a more traditional small business? Uh, like say, for instance, I have here doing communications for small businesses. It's a really hard question to be honest. Obviously there's loads of differences. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I, even though I'm one of these kind of, you know, all my ventures tend to be kind of these highly complex technical sort of things. I actually think there's a lot more overall value and in certain cases, true business acumen or operations in running brick and mortar type businesses, right. you know, and I admire, I admire people that, that run stuff like that. Um, how should I say this? I think that, the positives are obviously is that, you know, the value of what you build can grow at a massively fast rate. Mm -hmm. And it seems to be the, the greatest way to generate true wealth uh, in modern times. Right. Unless right. you get really lucky and you're like the first guy, one of the first people who put money at Bitcoin or something <laughs> like that. Right. Um, so, you know, there's that element, but Everybody kind of wants to be an entrepreneur, you know, they want to be this Zuckerbergians, I don't know why in that case, but mm. they want to be this, this sort of startup entrepreneur guy. And I don't think they understand what that entails. Right. There's a, you know, there's been psychological studies around like blue collar work versus white collar work mm -hmm. and, and blue collar workers, for example, are actually happier. They come home mm. with a sense of accomplishment and completion. Right. Um, if you're doing kind of stuff that I do, you're, you're never done. Right. There's no, there's no sense. There's always an unturned something somewhere, somehow, right. There's mm -hmm. no end of the day. You have to be obsessive. So it's really hard. It's, it's, I wouldn't have it any other way. I, I, I think I'm just, my character's kind of personally set like that, mm -hmm. like, uh, or I'm just industrious in that way but it's hard. It's still hard on me, even though I have that personality and every day's a struggle, every day's a fight. And that's why you have, you know, guys who are hyper successful and wealthy and everything. And 
they are miserable and and high you know more money more problems as biggie said so yeah. <laughs> uh it's not it's not all rosy um and yes the complexities are also are also different and uh although you don't see these guys ending up you know in in legal hot water as much as i think even small business owners do right. especially nowadays um you know when you're dealing with financial instruments right some of these guys especially in the crypto space i know like they're making history they're pushing boundaries mm -hmm. and there is uncertainty around that so the uncertainty around whatever you're doing you don't even know if your business if your idea is even valid sometimes right right so it's like if you're selling burgers it's like people like burgers you can sell burgers right. you know what i mean but uh -huh. i'm trying to build a marketplace for digital space assets you know uh, to a lot of people it's 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 abstract and case in point about working hard, you're up in the middle of the night on Sunday in Warsaw doing this podcast with me. So I'm very appreciative of that, Grant. <laughs> well, this is, this is actually quite early, quite early for these sort of things. So I appreciate that you you did it early on your end, if anything. <laughs> One thing more, Grant, you've seen success in multiple fields at a fairly young age. What advice do you have for younger people who may be looking to start their own business? Don't be scared to fail. Okay. Uh, that's one thing that when I was talking about those cultural differences and attitudes between American entrepreneurs and like really the rest of the world in a lot of ways, um, you know, and I talk about like differences with Brits, like Brits are very careful. They're a lot more conservative. They don't want to offend people. They don't like pushing mm -hmm. boundaries, for example, in the business world, right? Polls, you know, it's, um, and this is also what, because <coughs> polls are extremely entrepreneurial, uh, always have been historically. Uh, but communism, 60 years or 50 years of that will, will, will have a certain effect, especially I think sure. on ambitious men in society. Um, but um, kind of the point around that is, is, is in the rest of the world, there's a big fear of failure. And the beauty of being an American in, in a lot of ways is this get knocked down, get back up, wipe yourself off, try again. Right. And right. that is, and it's not by mistake that that's, you know, almost a country motto because if you're really trying to be ambitious and remember our history, you know, people coming across boats and trying to go out West, they have no idea. They're literally going into the unknown for them. Um, that's what it's like, you know, doing these things. You're kind of, you're kind of Ed Harris going down in that thing into the abyss right. sometimes. And that's how you feel. Um, so you're like to my previous thing you're gonna have days that are really hard and you have to persevere every day and you have to think every day you know you can take a day off every once in a while i've learned the hard way i think around that i'm kind of over i've overdone it before mm -hmm. um, but sometimes that's what's necessary and, and in the beginning you're gonna have to learn and do things that you don't want to do that's the other thing is, is, you know, one thing I like, I didn't do that well in, in school. Like I never went to college and stuff, but one thing I'm sure college would have given me is a a better discipline that would have helped me earlier on mm -hmm. of my entrepreneurial career, which I had my first startup when I was 19 and I failed, right? Yeah. I learned early and it was really, really hard for me. You know, my ego got killed. It, it really was a huge life lesson. Um, but also, you know, I've never really had a mentor, but I'm constantly talking to people. So mm -hmm. uh, learn, you know, I just entered, although I've been around the space economy for years, you know, I'm not deep down, I'm not a satellite guy, right? right. So I'm getting on calls every week. One reason I'm on them is not just for 
customer acquisition potential or, or whatever it is, it's, it's also, Hey, learn, mm -hmm. right. Don't, don't create in a vacuum ever. Right. I mean, there yeah. are stories of people who created in the vacuum and, and their vision was so strong and they just pushed it through, but right. um, in hyper-technical things, that's usually a, a very bad thing that can be cool if you're a painter. Right. And I look all of this as creation, but um, you have to know your customers. You have to know all that stuff. So, you know, ego and arrogance are a big thing with young people. I had a funny situation last week with a partner of ours. They had some junior and and he stupidly left all his comments underneath the Google slides. Yeah, I could still see him. Right. So and, you know, I, I was, at first I was kind of offended. But then I thought, well, what was what was what would I be like in that circumstance when I was 20? Yeah. Right. But there you it's go. better to not be that way and have some sort of humility. <laughs> I mean, I can I can go a million different directions on it. I spend a lot of actually time on this and kind of working with uh, young people uh, before they have a startup or when they're starting one or, you know, when I'm in the States, I go to the high schools and stuff and kind of talk about failures. Most importantly, mm -hmm. I think, you know, that's the other thing back to, you know, failures. Don't be scared to fail and and cool thing about the states is we kind of almost wear them as badges of honor so um yeah a, a wise friend of mine once said i'm not judged by the number of times that i fail but by the number of times that i succeed and the number of times that i succeed is in direct proportion to the number of times that i can fail and keep trying well i think you learn more in the failures sure than you do, <laughs> than you do the, the successes it's funny you know like people weren't asking my opinion so much when, when I was failing And now all of a sudden, you know, when, when things are going well, they want my opinion on it. <laughs> there you go. Grant, we're going to have to leave it there. We are out of time, but I really want to thank you for appearing on the small business leadership podcast. It's always a fun conversation. Thanks Tom for having me once again. Grant Blaisdell is the co-founder of the blockchain analytics and AML company coin firm, as well as Copernic space, a marketplace for digital space assets. The Small Business Leadership Podcast is produced by Marlin Consulting Solutions and Broadreach Communications. Be sure to join us again next time for the next edition of the Small Business Leadership Podcast. And remember to look for the opportunity in every challenge. I'm Tom Patton.